Well, welcome to 2020. It's here. I don't know if you thought you'd ever see 2020, if you've been on the planet as long as I have, uh, which is back from the early 60s. And I could probably say I'm a child of the 60s, but I kind of missed all that uh, nonsense that you probably heard about. However, I'm not really looking backward. I'm trying to look forward. And as I do, uh, I kind of like the notion of 2020 vision. I think it's a good way to begin the year in a fresh way. And perhaps if you're like me, maybe the last couple of years haven't been the greatest. And you want to do something to, to, to maybe redirect uh, what the outcome may be, at least from the standpoint of yourselves. For myself, if I think about 2020 vision and how to redirect, I honestly have to say my go-to is the Word of God. And as uh, I consider how we approach it, I want to bring you alongside myself, hopefully, uh, and the elders as well, and move into 2020 on a united front. And so a lot of things that we've done, even up till now, have been an attempt to to, uh, to, to achieve that. Uh, if, if you are a member of the church and you went to the congregational meeting, uh, you know that there's a whole uh, sermon calendar that's been created that defines where we're going. And if you'd like a copy of that, I'm, I'm happy to share that regarding the sermon series and the things we're going to be doing in the upcoming year. Uh, but apart from that, what I'd really like to do is something that I believe is going to be a a, a very beneficial spiritual exercise for this whole body of people and for each of us uh, individually. And it centers on how it is that we are going to posture ourselves towards the new year. And maybe the best way to do it is to figure out what we're pivoting from. Maybe 17 and 18 and 19 weren't great years for you, but you're hoping 2020 will be like myself. Or maybe your memory goes back about as far as uh, Dora. Anybody ever see Dora the fish? You know what I'm talking about? You remember what I'm talking about? Kind of an insider joke. You ever see the movie Finding Nemo? Oh, you remember. Very good. Very good. Dora the Explorer. Dory the Fish. I forgot. Well, maybe that's a good place to start because we are pivoting from the celebration of the birth of Christ. Right? And as we just celebrate that year after year after year, you know, God became one of us, Emmanuel, God with us. The idea that God took uh, the whole experience of being God of the universe and reduced himself down to one of us so that we could know him better. Maybe you're not able to wrap your mind around that anymore, kind of like I've sort of gotten into that rut. And you've got to look at it with some fresh eyes. So let's start with our friend Dory or any other fish that you guys have had. Have you guys ever had a goldfish? Was your, can, I, can I just summarize what I think your experience was like? Maybe you had it as a kid, maybe you had it as an adult, and it went like this. Did you see that goldfish in that shop's aquarium? Yes. Mom and dad, could you buy that for me? Yes, we'll buy that for you. And I asked my parents that question under those conditions, and they did. 
But I didn't realize until I became a parent how that played out in their mind. And it went something like this. Yeah, that kid's going to be real excited about that goldfish for about a couple of days. And then it's game over. And then guess who gets the responsibility of making sure that aquarium has this water change, making sure that those fish are fed, making sure that it's cleaned and the air bubbles are doing what they're doing, and on and on and on. Anybody, anybody have that same experience? Okay. You had it as a kid in one set of eyes. As an adult, you paid for your decision that your parents were forced to have to oblige you with by, by having to attend to the fish. Let me ask you this. Now, Finding Nemo was a, a good cartoon for sure, but my experience with my fish wasn't anything like that. Like, there was no conversation. Matter of fact, there was hardly an acknowledgement of the fish, the goldfish. Let's just name him, her, it, Goldie. Is that good? Did you have a name for your goldfish? You're like, I'm not going there. Oh, you have one. Slim Shady. Oh, Swim, of course. Swim Shady the goldfish. And when you said, Swim Shady, come here, the goldfish did what? Nothing. Didn't even probably look at you. Just kept swimming and swimming like Dory. Just keep swimming, right? But just keep ignoring that person out there until you're hungry. And then what? We're hungry. We're going to start eating each other if you don't step up your game and give us some food. So they see you veer towards that little round canister, pop the top off, grab a pinch of that delicious, delectable, whatever that thing is inside of there that smells so awful, and you just kind of spark, sprinkle it across the top. And then what do the fish do? They get busy, don't they? And they make sure it's all gone. Matter of fact, the bully fish on the way to making sure that it's all gone. And that pretty much summarizes the whole experience, am I right? Except for some people, which I've heard finalize the whole ordeal by sending them to a larger body of water via to send them to the larger body of water mechanism that everyone has installed in their house. I'm not going to go any farther than that. But what's disappointing about the whole fish experience is how it is so unlike a dog experience. The dog will bring your shoe when you enter the door. It will keep its eye on you the whole time you're there. And when you're gone, it'll be waiting. The fish couldn't care less. And all you want to do is have a friendship with this fish. You know you can't cuddle it, but at least just a, an occasional acknowledgement would be fine. Did Swim Shady ever say to you, Rachel, Rachel, I am so glad you're taking care of me because I know that that's really where the bond is. As much as you guys probably love that fish, Swim Shady probably got the bulk of his, her, its affection from you or Sean. Yeah. Imagine God looking at us and saying, I love those guys. I'll even help those guys. I'll give them a great environment for those guys to take part in. But they tend to ignore me a lot. They tend to not even see me a lot. 
they tend to be indifferent to me a lot. And it's only when they get a bonus or something that triggers them that they maybe will even say, thank you, great provider from above, whoever you are. And when God looks at us and he sees how much it is that we have within us the potential for a relationship that Slim Shady doesn't have, clearly. He says, what is it that I can do to capture their hearts and their minds? And he's done a lot of things. He's shown up in different ways, provided different means by which he can be discovered. He even went so far as to give us information about who he was that we know as the Bible. And in doing that, we still don't really see him, do we? And just imagine you, and since we're going on Slim Shady here, imagine you, Rachel, saying, Slim Shady, I really want to be your friend. Sean has made in his workshop a means of reducing me down to a fish. And I trust him so much that I know one day he'll pull me back out. But let's say he does, and you become one of those fish. What an act of love. Or maybe you volunteered Sean. Which, now I know how the chain of command works here. And Sean goes and he says, and Sean's a very gregarious, and he says, I'll be your friend, Slim Shady. And Slim Shady's like, weren't you the guy that used to feed me occasionally? Yeah, I'm that guy. But now I'm one of you. Can you imagine reducing who you and I are down to basically the capacities of a fish? Would you even be interested in that? And if you were, why would you? And yet, does the analogy not hold up that God in his own way said, I want to have a relationship with you, but I am in a place of incredible majesty and glory and everything about my divinity is just summarized in, in, in everything that you see. I want to become one of you. Would you do it? And if you did, what would possess you to do it? Other than a deep desire to participate in the very limited lives of the people they can't even see you, and if they do, they ignore you. That, in a sense, is what our Lord Jesus did. And as we pivot into 2020, what I would like for us to consider is how we respond to that. Because I think that the means by which God has accomplished what he's done, so fantastic as it is, elicits a response, if nothing else, from his people in a way that says, we kind of get it, God. You became one of us. How limiting, and from your standpoint, perhaps how boring. But yet, wow. What a heart and what a desire that must be inside of you to want to do that. And if I just ponder it for a second that way, I, I, I do want to respond out of gratitude because I have to believe that he's got some great things in store for us, but then there's the problem. 
we may not even know what those great things are because we've been living in a way that has not been paying careful attention to the things that are important to God that he's revealed to us. And that leads me into what I would call at this point my infomercial. Okay, I don't have any other way to say it other than I think that one of the best ways that we can reciprocate back to God a response that says, God, we see you now. Show us more of who you are. Is to begin 2020 by clarifying our vision through paying attention to his word. Now, one of the resources that I use a lot in this venue is uh, uh, videos that are found on the website, The Bible Project. You guys ever hear of The Bible Project? If you haven't, you probably, have, if you've been here a while, you've seen some of the videos. I'm getting ready to show you one. But what I'd like to challenge our people to do for starters is to make that connection with God, first of all, by dedicating some daily time with Him through just a, a Bible reading, an annual Bible reading process. And the one that the Bible Project offers is different because it centers not so much on just reading through the whole Bible in sort of a mechanical way, but rather going into the Bible and finding the storyline and then following the storyline where it leads. And in this piece of paper that is outside the worship center, there's a whole stack of them. It's how to do that in the process or in the course of a year. And essentially what you do is you read portions of the Bible that chronologically go through it. And then there are tagged to that videos that you can go to on the Bible Project website that will... I think illuminate it in a much more powerful way you know, than, than, than I can just through these words. So I'm going to stop right here and I'm going to ask um, if we can upstairs to show the Bible Project video for going through the Bible story in a year. We know that the Bible is long and for many people an intimidating book. But we believe that the entire thing is telling one unified story that leads us to Jesus. And so we want to help you learn how to read the Bible as you actually read through the entire thing for yourself. So the Read Scripture experience is, first of all, a reading plan that has broken up the story of the Bible into 16 chapters. Now we've rearranged the order of some of the books to help you see how this overall story works and how each book contributes to it. So we begin with creation of the world and the fall of humanity which leads to God's covenant promises to Abraham and his family, the people of Israel. Then you come to God's rescue of Israel in the exodus from Egypt, which is followed by the covenant God makes with them at Mount Sinai. From there, God leads Israel through the wilderness and then into the promised land, where Israel grows into a nation and breaks the covenant. And so this flows into the rise and the fall of Israel's kingdom, which ends with Israel being exiled from the land. Now the story pauses right here, and you'll read through the poetry of the prophets who lived before Israel's exile and also of the wisdom writings that reflect on this part of the story as well. After this, the story will pick up again and you'll read the writings of the prophets who lived during the exile, then about the return of Israel from exile and the writings of the prophets who lived after the exile. You'll conclude the Old Testament with the book of Chronicles. It's a summary of the story so far and how it all points forward to Jesus. 
And finally, we come to Jesus himself and his announcement of the kingdom of God, which is then followed by the letters of the apostles to the people of Jesus' kingdom. Finally, we'll conclude the entire biblical story with the revelation, a poetic vision of Jesus' return and the healing of all creation. Now, each of these 16 chapters has a number of reading sessions it will take to complete it. Some of these are shorter, others are longer. And if you take just 15 to 20 minutes a day to complete each session, you'll be able to read through the entire Bible in less than a year. Now, even with this map, many books of the Bible are really confusing. It's very easy to get lost. And so when you start each new book of the Bible, you'll be able to watch a short video that lays out that book's structure and flow of thought, and it'll give you tips about what kinds of things to look for as you read. But also, every book contributes to the overall story of the Bible as well. And so we'll have theme videos placed at strategic points in the reading plan to help you see how the part of the Bible you're reading at the moment fits into that larger story. Finally, each day's reading session includes a psalm, because we believe that reading the Bible is not just an intellectual experience, but also spiritual. And so we invite you to take the year to develop the daily habit of praying through the psalms. And by the end of the year, you'll have prayed through the whole book of psalms two and a half times. Our hope is that the Read Scripture experience will help you read through the entire Bible with greater understanding than you ever have before. So you can see for yourself the beauty and the wisdom of this ancient story that points us to Jesus. So hopefully you got all that. Um, If you find the program outside, you'll see that there is a prompt on there for the video relative to that day that you're reading it. And and hopefully you'll find it beneficial in trying to comprehend what's going on, but also motivational in your walk with the Lord. Well, I want to kind of even move this a little bit deeper into something that he mentioned at the end of the video, and that is the word, the Psalms. You ever hear of the Psalms? Maybe it's not as inspirational and motivational as you would like to think as far as just saying that word. But the fact of the matter is the Psalms were what would breathe life into God's people throughout age after age after age. Even when Jesus was going through his darkest moment, did you know that there were two, two, two chapters from the Old Testament that he quoted from? And both those chapters were from the Psalms, Psalm 22 and Psalm 31, when he's getting ready to die on the cross. Now, why is that important? I honestly think that now we are living in a moment where being centered in the things of God and paying attention to the things of God is life and death. I truly believe that when we hear stuff outside the boundaries of this building, even this week, talk of World War III or thousands of soldiers being deployed or there was a shooting or there was an outbreak or there was this or there was that, we're just getting whipsawed by fearful uh, tellings about events in the world that are, quite honestly, deeply unsettling. And yet, the pattern of going through that experience has never changed. There has always been a deep and profound crisis that God's people had to face. And the question was, were they rooted enough in their identity that they would be able to weather the storm, and not only that, thrive within it? And interestingly enough, the Psalms of all places 
seem to be in the catalog of history the most frequently visited stop for God's people when they were facing pretty harrowing circumstances. And the Psalms are something that maybe you visited and maybe you've sang and maybe you weren't even aware of it. I would venture to say that every person in this room has part of the Psalms already programmed into your brain. If you've heard the words, the Lord is my shepherd, anybody ever hear that? Well, that's just part of Psalm 23. Have you ever heard the word, uh, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You ever hear that? You ever hear um, uh, anybody say anything about um, uh, blessed is the, is the one who does not um, walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit in the seat of scoffers or stand in the way of sinners? Perhaps it's a little bit more obscure. But maybe if you've been in our worship gatherings enough, one thing that I've come to realize as I read through the Psalms, a lot of the stuff that, that Brian and the praise team actually put in front of us, and even in the hymns in the, in the tradition service, are from the Psalms. They're like little quotes here and there that are embedded into how the song is arranged. And it just seems like no matter where you turn, there they are. But you wouldn't know it unless you saw them. And then you wonder, why is it that they are so commonly referred to in so many different places? I'd venture to say that even going outside of here, if you just took every line from the Psalms and you were able to ask a person on the street, have you heard any of these lines? And you were able to go through, through each of them, they would say, yeah, I have actually heard of that one and that one. They're just there. As the Old Testament is combined into all of these different books, does anybody know how many books are in the Old Testament, by the way? Anybody want to just venture to guess? Let's just say... Um, well, okay, what is 66 minus 27? There's your answer. Okay? There's that many books in the Old Testament. 39... And when you read the New Testament, which is the story of everything that had to do with uh, the life of Jesus and beyond, they tend to go back into the Old Testament and refer to things through quotes. And when they grab quotes from the Old Testament, what they're doing is they're saying, this story that we are so familiar with, that has defined us in so many ways, now makes even more sense because all the things that we read are pointing to what we're experiencing now in Jesus. And did you know there are at least 360 quotes in 27 books in the New Testament from the Old Testament that are directly from the Old Testament stories. And of those, two, of those uh, 360 quotes, about 116 of them are from the Psalms. So disproportionately, that book seems to be hovering in the minds of the people of that day enough that they said it's worth quoting and quoting again. When Jesus died and then he rose again and people were all upset because he did die and they thought it's over and done and finished, he's walking down the road and two guys kind of come alongside him and as they do, he's telling them some things that are response to them being so downcast that the, the guy that they had believed in is dead. And the scripture says in Luke, starting with the writings of Moses, the teachings, and the prophets, and the Psalms, 
he began to open their eyes with what was going on. They went from that bottom line. Can you read that bottom line? No. Can you read the next line? No. Can you read the fourth line up? Yes. They had that moment of clarity where everything that they heard being described in the story of the Old Testament that the Bible Project has talked about now just totally illuminated their understanding of who Jesus was. And it was like we've kind of been ignoring you this whole time but now we see it. And when the New Testament writers were quoting it, interestingly enough, they weren't alone. Jesus quoted the Psalms actually more than any other book in the Old Testament. If they were important to him, they must be important to a whole lot of people, including ourselves. But the question is, how do we connect with this book of 150 chapters? A book that, well in a lot of ways, is a little bit mysterious and sometimes confusing. I mean, have you... Let me just say this. The writings of Moses were the teachings that helped to clarify who God was and who people were in relation to him. The books of the prophets would say stuff about... This is why bombs are coming in from that foreign country. And this is why, because you've kind of turned your backs on me, I'm just saying you're on your own. And this is what I'm going to do to try to help you out of this mess. The prophets were God's response to what was going on in the lives of his people. And then there's the Psalms, which are just a catalog of our responses to God when we're going through that whole cross-section of emotions. You know, those emotions you feel when you're feeling really good about life and you're declaring expressions of praise. And those emotions that you feel when, well, quite honestly, you're pretty upset. You just got your car repaired and it's not repaired. And you find out that they use used parts. And you are seeing this thing become something that you never thought it would be. And in the process, you're just getting angry. And there's a part of you that says... God, just strike down that mechanic who's using bad parts and who's making the problem worse. You ever been angry like that? Let's be honest. Sean, as nice of a guy as you are, if Sean was angry like that, then you guys I know have been there. There's those moments, aren't there? And would you believe that when you read through some of the Psalms, they say stuff like that. God when are you going to kill those enemies? And you're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is that something that believers should be praying? Why is that in there? Well, if you read carefully, it's just a way of expressing to God at a God level, at the street level, what you're feeling. It's real. And I think that's why so many people are drawn to it. But where the psalm typically ends is it kind of gets your head back in that space that it needs to be to move forward in a constructive way. But it does give you permission to say, life is real, your faith is real, and you're going to feel this from time to time, and this is the best way to express it. And the interesting thing about the psalms is it doesn't matter what you're going through. There's a psalm that says it better than you or I probably ever could. Let's say that we're going through a time where we're like, I'm looking in the rearview mirror and I'm not liking what 
I see as a result of what I've done. And there's a psalm that says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and keep your Holy Spirit within me. And there is this of reconnecting with God, the God that you had taken for granted, but the God that you ignored whenever you were doing things that you shouldn't have been doing. And that was written by a guy who cheated on his wife. And he wrote those psalms in a way that said, this is where you're at when you do that. And it expressed it well, and in ways that I think would say, that's where the Bible's being honest. And if you just took every emotion that you had, and you cataloged them, there's a psalm that summarizes that response. Now what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to move into the psalms uh, for a few weeks and begin to see how that opens things up for us. If, uh, if you've seen on the table when you walked in this book, 21 Days of Prayer, it's something that I've been looking forward to for, I would say, a year. And the first thing that I wanted to do is I wanted our elders to get together in the beginning of 2019 and just start praying, which they did. And we would even have weekly or monthly prayer gatherings here at the church in the evenings. And we just started praying so that we could get aligned with the things of God. And we prayed so that the church could be healthy. And we prayed so that sickness or disease or problems that people are facing could be resolved and we saw all of those things happen. We were praying that there would be a solid or a more solid or as I was telling Christian the other day a solidized environment that would be spiritually in, spiritual in character. And I feel like in a lot of ways the elders did their due diligence in solidizing that very thing. And as a result of that, I feel like with some credibility, I alongside with them can ask you guys to join us for 21 days to pray about things that are on your heart, pray about our church, and pray about the stuff that the Psalms are leading you into. Because at the heart of it, the Psalms are actually a prayer book. Uh, the if I can just be a nerd for a minute, the word psalm is actually a Greek word that means uh, singing of songs. And people sang the psalms. I know it's hard to believe because it doesn't really resonate with any songs you and I know. But there was a time when people sang them. It was so critical that, imagine this, there was a, a, a group of people that had come out of the Babylonian exile, stay with me, and they had settled back into Jerusalem and they were priests who were creating the priestly order before Jesus came and then all of a sudden a guy comes in and he says, I'm in charge here, I'm kicking you out and we're going to take a pig and we're going to put him on the altar and we're going to sacrifice him to the gods. And in that moment, those priests grabbed all the scrolls that they had and they ran south to the Dead Sea. They settled into a place called uh, uh, Qumran. And maybe you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Maybe you haven't. But when they found these scrolls in caves that had been sitting there for 2,000 years, they discovered a lot of things about the way of life of people who were just trying to connect with God because he got their attention. 
And in the books that were provided, it spoke a lot about what was important to them. And did you know that hands down, the book, of all the books of the Bible that showed up, the book that showed up the most, like it was just like everywhere in these scrolls, was the Psalms. It was the book that was the go-to for everybody. So, the Dead Sea people said it's important. The New Testament people said it's important. Jesus said, I'm dying. The Psalms are important to me right now. I even had, we, believe it or not, we have a Scottish immigrant in our church. She's been here for a while, so her English has gotten a lot better. No, just kidding. Don't mean to offend her. And she would laugh. But she said, you know, when I was growing up, in the church that I went to, we sang two psalms every Sunday. I said, wow, that's weird. She said, but I didn't really enjoy it at the time. But I have to tell you, as an adult, it's in there. And I can receive it as I need it. And I am so grateful that my, my parents made me do that because I couldn't see it at the time. But now it's life and death. Because out there is life and death. And so there are all these people who are saying, it's a good thing to incorporate the Psalms into your being. So for 21 days, what I'm asking our people to do is to come alongside one another to pick up one of these that's outside the worship center and starting tomorrow, begin to pray through the Psalms through a guided process and trust me, you're guided through the whole thing even how to kind of posture yourself to it. And as we do that, you're going to read a psalm and then you're going to reflect on it perhaps by saying this is prompting me to pray for this. I don't know what you have going on in your life, but my guess is we all have a lot of things we need to pray for. And it just kind of guides you along the way. And as you pray, you can write some thoughts regarding what God is doing. And in the process, you're starting to connect with the God who already has made the effort to connect with you and I. And it's a beautiful way to be speaking to each other rather than past each other. And the first psalm that we're, that we're going through tomorrow is Psalm 5. And this is a psalm as I kind of bring this full circle back to our vision statement at our congregational meeting summarizes one of the four core values that I'd like to see happen. First one being, help us, Lord, as a culture to love God with all of our heart. Help us to love our neighbors or self. Help us to bring order to where there is disorder in our church and increase the level of order so that we can function well. And finally, Lord, help us to choose joy. Because I think joy is a choice. And I think that so many of us have been so beaten down by what's out there that joy seems to have left on the last bus out of town. And last year I challenged people, start choosing joy. Start counting your blessings. Start looking at what is going on around you that is good. And it was amazing how people started seeing again with clarity. Psalm 5 in verses 11 and 12 basically say, there's a lot going on out there, 
that will take you down, choose joy. And I honestly believe that posture helps us to navigate what's going on out there. But it's not just that posture. It is the promises that are embedded in the Psalms that give us hope. That give us courage. That help us to trust that God is there. That he's not some distant being sprinkling goldfish flakes on the top of our personal aquariums so that we can occasionally eat. But rather, he's swimming with us. In order to see him, we got to spend some time with him. The second part of this prayer guide is a challenge, and not everybody will want to do it. And that is to fast. Have you ever fasted before? Well, obviously every night we fast for seven, eight hours. But have you ever fasted before saying, I'm not going to do that? I'm not going to eat that. And fasting can take on a lot of different things. But the whole point of fasting is making a declaration to God that I am going to eliminate this for three weeks so I can fill that space with you. And sometimes it is food. Sometimes it's something that you pay a lot of attention to that you need to disengage from. Sometimes it's... It's, it's just a distraction that you know you need to pull yourself away from and reach escape velocity once and for all and create new habits. That can be food. That can be being online. That can be a hobby. That can be anything that you do that you realize, I'm doing too much of that. And I want to put the Lord in that slot. At least for a while. And give him that space. Well, this will guide you through that process as well. At the end of the day, what the result is that I hope to see come out of this is that the value of the Psalms will become something that begins to parallel the value that it had for so many people who have gone before us. And not only that, the effect that it has as you pray through the Psalms I honestly believe will have an impact on your life. Now, I've cheated a little bit because Mandy and I started doing this together um, last week because I wanted to just jump into it and see how it begins to take hold. And I had to tell you, I've, I've already kind of felt it in my spirit that God's using it. But we committed to some things, and right away I was tempted to not do those things. But I held true, and I, realized, I feel like God's blessing it. Now, everybody has their New Year's resolutions. Everybody has their things that they want to try to do. I'm I'm not trying to get you to resolve to do anything. What I'm trying to do is ask you, alongside each of us here, to just take a particular space and fill it with something for a period of time. And as we do that, See what happens along the way. Ask what God is doing along the way. And what I'm seeing that I didn't see before because I'm looking beyond the glass of the aquarium into the eyes of the Creator. And wouldn't it be cool if when we did, it just changed a lot? 
that the things that you thought would be a reset of the year before took on a whole new flavor. Wouldn't it be cool to wake up on January 27th and say, oh, you know what? I've got a habit here and I'm not going to let it go because I'm starting to see the value of it. I don't want to belabor the point other than to say, my goal in all of this is to get you to engage with something that maybe you haven't. And maybe if we do it together, there's some strength in that. And hopefully, we can grow closer in the process. And so I just want to end this message, if you will, or my infomercial, if you want to go there, with a, with a prayer. So as we end time in the Word, um, it is a way of just tuning our hearts to the heart of God. Would you bow with me? Father, we are so grateful that we have very, at, at, at our very disposal that one thing that links us to you so powerfully. And that is your word. And we thank you, Father, for processes that we can step into that enable us to do it in a purposeful and meaningful way. Father, I just pray that as you've called everyone here to be in this gathering, that you would call us together to share in times of attention to your word as we begin the process of praying for 21 days about those things that you lay upon the heart of your people. I pray, Father, that you help us to see you with fresh eyes. I pray, Father, that as you know the year as it's already unfolded from your point of view and what each of us will be facing predictable and things that will surprise us I pray Father that you use your word to prepare us for the good things to celebrate and for the difficult things to persevere through I pray Father that as we conclude our time of prayer and fasting that there would be blessing on the other side. And that each of us would be at a different place in our connection with you. I pray, Father, that you would bless our study of your word as we explore the story this year. And that you would bless our reading together of these psalms as we pray together for 21 days and commit ourselves to that. I just thank you, Father, for using me in this way and for the attention that you've provided through each who have come, that it wouldn't be in vain, but rather for purposes that you have in mind for us. So bless it, Father, and bless us as we partake together in Jesus' name. Amen.